did not have frost on my car, but I had chill in my bones this morning. How about you? I tell you what, I woke up, I told my wife, I guess it was last night, I said, I would have never thought when I went into ministry that I would be doing services outside in December. Now, if you're Southern California, that uh, maybe wasn't too uh, far off, but uh, from the Midwest, it's different. And, uh, you know, Pastor Zach mentioned about Christmas Eve service. I think it's going to be a really quaint one. Uh, you know, normally we can't let the candles be lit too long for a candlelight service because the wax starts dripping all over the chairs and the floors. And, but out here, it doesn't matter. So uh, we're going to have a great candlelight service for Christmas Eve. And uh, come, and it'll be memorable. I have never, ever had a Christmas Eve service outside. And, uh, you know, if, if we had the money or the means, we could just get snowflakes starting to fall and all other kinds of stuff, right? I know some people do that down here, those machines. But uh, maybe next year. And uh, if it goes really well, uh, we'll come back out next year. I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully COVID's over next year, right? So... They got the vaccines coming tomorrow, so that's good. That starts knocking some things down, and hopefully uh, we can move to a different day. Uh, you know, a lot of times we talk about celebrating and bringing in the new year, ringing in the new year. I think we're more interested in ringing out the old year this year. What do you think? I want to make mention, though, as we do approach year-end, that uh, we have our year-end Christmas offering, and many of you are very consistent with your tithes and offerings, and so appreciative for that. If you're interested in knowing where you stand to be able to catch up or uh, give above and beyond, then you're able to do that. You can just notify the church, we'll follow up with you, or if you go to our website, you can get online with an online database and actually check your own giving records. But I do that not as a, a means and a ploy, but just as a challenge for us to be faithful. A few weeks ago, I talked about choose thankful, and choose thankful has a response to it. And friends, this has been a challenging year on many different fronts for us as a church, and I want us, I just implore us, I encourage us, I champion us to finish out the year strong financially and being able to give to the Lord's work. And so if you do that, there is a um, way to do that electronically. You guys hear about it every week. You who are online, uh, but to give your tithes and offerings, just simply uh, type the word awakening to 77977. If you get bored with the message, you can just sit there and just keep giving away all service long if you want, right? But uh, especially also with our year-end Christmas offering, we like to finish out strong with gifts above and beyond normal giving. And I would just like to um, have a brief word of prayer for our giving as we finish out the year. Can I do that? Lord Jesus, today. May you challenge us in our hearts to be faithful in all ways this Christmas season. May, Lord, we honor you with our tithes and our offerings. And Lord, whether it's through text or giving in a basket after church, we pray, God, for your fullness uh, to be rich upon us as a church family stepping into 2021. But Lord, help us to finish out this year as good and faithful stewards. For all that we have is yours and is not ours. In your name we pray. Amen. I also have another announcement that I would just like to make to you as a pastor. And um, this week I had um, uh, an opportunity to sit down with a couple in this church that has been serving faithfully um, in some very unique and challenging ways, in particular this last year. And that is uh, Devin and Beth Lafreniere. They have uh, championed our children's ministry, and uh, they uh, envisioned kids' church and some new dynamics that happened. And then we hit COVID. And it was not easy with COVID. 
uh, to do children's ministry. In fact, kids, if you're sitting here today, thanks for being here. I'm glad you're with mom and dad. We'll try to make sure we button it down so you can get out of here, right? But um, I know that uh, you have uh, handouts on a Sunday morning, but Beth and Devin have also been faithfully doing a video uh, every week. They've been teaching online. In fact, you should go and do that, even as adults. Catch that. But as we sat down this week and some things have changed in their life related to the home front and in particular the job front for Devin and what he does and some strengthening there, uh, they shared with me that they need to step down from children's ministry directors at the end of January. And so they're here in the back, guys. We are so grateful for them, uh, for Kids Church. And uh, so they're a part of our church family. They'll be moving through these weeks and uh, transitioning off of... Uh, that staff, they're given a small stipend to be able to do a full-time job. It is not easy. And uh, what I want us to do as a family, as a church family, is not only embrace them and encourage them because some really good things are happening uh, in their lives and the careers and all that, but I want us to also pray for us. Simply put, and we talked it through as a board this week, there is no one in the bullpen. Now, what I mean by that doesn't mean that there aren't leaders, and many of you have served in children's ministries. But um, we've been looking at some different things that have been coming at us this year as a church. But God's grace has been sufficient, and we step back, and God has leadership for us in children's ministry. We don't know how it's going to come about, but we felt we needed to give you word up front rather than wait until after the first of the year so you can embrace and love on Beth and Devin, but that you can also pray and intercede as we transition. Uh, this is so, such a big critical area for us as a church. So Beth and Devin, thanks again. We're glad you're on the journey, a part of the church family, and uh, we will see what God has in store. A few weeks ago, uh, in our life group, uh, we share leadership in our life group, and uh, the couple that was leading that uh, week was uh, David and, and Naomi Anderson, and uh, they said, hey, we want to start off with a video clip. I sort of knew some of the direction I wanted to go for uh, this series um, for Christmas. You should call him Jesus. And um, when we looked at the series... Um, I just kept coming back to this video that they let off with. And uh, this video is actually from a few years ago at a church with an 11-year-old young man. You will be taken back by this 11-year-old young man, but uh, I want you not to only be taken back by uh, him as an individual and what he does, but the truth that he unpacks. The truth that he unpacks, especially as we look at this morning again, you shall call him Jesus. So enjoy this, be inspired by it, and then we're going to jump into God's word for us today. In Genesis, Jesus Christ is the breath of life. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day, and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. 
in Ezra and Nehemiah. He's the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. And in Esther, he is our Mordecai. In Job, he is our ever living redeemer. In Psalms, he is our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. And in Song of Solomon, he is our loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the Prince of Peace. In Jeremiah, he is the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the wonderful four-faced man. And in Daniel, he's the fourth man in life's fiery furnace. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband, forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he's the baptizer of the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is mighty to save. In Jonah, he is our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he's the messenger of beautiful feet. In Nahum, he's our strength and shield. In Habakkuk, he's God's evangelist crying, Revive thy works in the midst of the years. In Zephaniah, he is our savior. In Haggai, he is the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is the fountain opened up in the house of David for sin and uncleanliness. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, Jesus Christ is the king of the Jews. In Mark, he's the servant. In Luke, he is the son of man, feeling what you feel. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the savior of the world. In Romans, he's the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, he's the rock, the father of Israel. In 2 Corinthians, he's the triumphal one, giving victory. In Galatians, he is your liberty. He set you free. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is your joy. In Colossians, he is your completeness. In 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, he is your hope. In 1st Timothy, he's your faith. In 2nd Timothy, he's your stability. In Titus, he is truth. In Philemon, he's your benefactor. In Hebrews, he's the power, he's your perfection. In James, he's the power behind your faith. In 1 Peter, he's your example. In 2 Peter, he's your purity. In 1 John, he is your life. In 2 John, he's your pattern. In 3 John, he's your motivation. In Jude, he's the foundation of your faith. And in Revelation, he is your coming king. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He's the architect of the universe and the manager of all times. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. Unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced in his pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought life. He is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. The world can't understand.
understand them. The armies can't defeat them. The schools can't explain them, and the leaders can't ignore them. Herod couldn't kill them. The Pharisees couldn't confuse them. The people couldn't hold them. Nero couldn't crush them. Hitler couldn't silence them. The new age can't replace them. He is alive, love, longevity, and more. He is goodness, kindness, gentleness, and God. He is holy, righteous, mighty, powerful, and pure. His ways are right, and his word is eternal. His will is unchanging, and his mind is on me. He is my redeemer. He is my savior. He is my guide. He is my peace. He is my joy. He is my comfort. He is my Lord, and he rules my life. Boy, if that doesn't get your blood going, if that doesn't ring your bell, your clapper's broke. Light your fire, your wood's dry. I tell you what, you and I, may we never lose sight of the enthusiasm and the awesomeness of who our Lord Jesus Christ is. We come into this Christmas season a little bit wobbly because of the year, but we have a Savior. Jesus Christ, you shall call him Jesus because he will forgive his people from their sins. And that is our hope. But this Jesus Christ that we worship, this Jesus Christ that we celebrate his entrance into this world, he has always been and he always will be. It says in Isaiah that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The Son of God has always existed. He was born, though, as a babe in a manger. God Himself incarnate in the flesh so that you and I could have forgiveness and the salvation of our sins and an eternity with God and Christ forever. We steward this life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Christmas is a season that we should be especially charged because that which has been known through all the books of the Bible as referenced by him in that articulation came into being and came into our presence in the day and age 2,000 years ago and we today long for his second coming and it will happen and we will worship and celebrate and just continue to add to that beautiful chorus of worship throughout the millennium. The one who was slain for the salvation of mankind. Where are you at today in your love for Jesus Christ? I trust that you will have the innocence and the charge of that childlike kind of spirit and that it will never ever dampen or grow old. Why is it that some Christians, the older they get, the crankier they are? You ever ask yourself that? Why is it that the older we get in the faith, the more charged we should become? And enthusiastic as we learn and we worship and we challenge and share with one another. I want to do something today with the Christmas story I've never done before. I want to talk about a character of the Christmas story that's not really referenced. Some of you have the manger scene in your house. Some of you have big ones. We have sort of a big one. We have a couple of them. In our manger scene, uh, one of the things we do on Christmas Eve is we tell the story. All of us 
together as a family and and uh, we start with a barren manger scene and, and then we talk about, you know, Mary and Joseph coming on the scene and then you add the characters like uh, the shepherds and, and then the wise men, right? You got the, the cows and the sheep and all that's there and you share the story and it's just sort of a little tradition we have. Well, I want to talk about a character that's not in the manger scene that we usually uh, depict. It's actually a second baby. There was a second baby to the Advent story. And for us to understand the full ramifications of what Jesus did when He was born and given the name Jesus, Yeshua, the one who saves, you need to understand the story about the second baby of Advent. I'm not talking that Mary had a twin. But there was a baby that was born six months before Jesus that has huge ramifications for the calling and the work of Jesus himself as he grew older. And that story is the story about someone not named Jesus, but someone named John. And so I'd like to go to the book of Luke and begin there. You want to turn in your scriptures. And we'll pick it up this way. Many have undertaken, undertaken, Luke said. Now Luke was a doctor. He was a very smart, intelligent person. And, and his accounts, both in uh, volume 1 of the Gospel of Luke and volume 2 and uh, the Acts of the Apostles, are known historically as being very reliable and accurate. And you see that in the first part of this. Luke says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. What you have in your scriptures, the gospel story is not hearsay. It was factual. It was fact-checked. It was uh, um, run around with different people who were eyewitnesses. And Luke saying, listen here, I'm going to write to you about what's happened. With this in mind, since I myself have fully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, we don't know who Theophilus is, but he's writing this account to him, a prestigious person probably, and saying, you know, here's the record. This is what's going on. And what he does is he does what we just saw from that recollection going back through all of Scripture. Luke is trying to highlight that this story, this gospel, which means good news about Jesus Christ, is something that's been coming for millenniums. And he's doing this so that you may know the certainty of things you have been taught. I don't know if you're a skeptic today. Maybe you're a skeptic online. You're trying to figure out where's all this Christmas stuff go. It's a nice sort of mystic kind of uh, uh, storyline that we celebrate and all, but it really doesn't matter. It really didn't happen. No, it actually happened. And it changes everything. And Luke's writing about it, beginning with the beginning. Verse 11, after it articulates what's happened 
in a storyline. It says this, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Now, who's this Zachariah? Well, Luke articulates that there was a couple that lived outside of Jerusalem. And he was a priest, and they would schedule the priest to go into Jerusalem and sort of do duty. And his name was Zechariah. And he had a wife, and her name was Elizabeth. They were very God-fearing people. They kept all the law. They loved God. And so we have this storyline begins for the Advent for Christmas with the story not of Mary and Joseph in the Gospel of Luke, but the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so he's called out of the home to go into Jerusalem and camp for a period of time to do the deeds of a priest. And one of those was to be able to go into the temple the only place and offer incense so there's people outside and they're seeing the priest who goes in and and they watch Zechariah go in to perform his duties as a priest but the angel said to him do not be afraid Zechariah your prayer has been heard your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John well, while he's in there doing his duties, lo and behold, this angel shows up, and it's actually the angel Gabriel. Gabriel had a lot of work going on, man. He, we talked about him last week. It was probably Gabriel that appeared to Joseph in the dream. We got Gabriel here. We got Gabriel in another place in a second. It was Gabriel that announced to uh, the shepherds. So, you know, you need to have the angel Gabriel in our, our manger scene. We got an angel there. We talk about the angels, right? Well, here's Gabriel, you know, he's got a big workload going on, and he's sharing with Zechariah that something incredible is going to happen with them. They're old folks. In fact, it was a shame upon them that they had not barren children. And so Gabriel comes to him and says, you're going to have a baby. And here's God intervening again, sticking his nose in a family, and through the angel is going to decide what to name this baby. Just like we looked at last week. Why did God have to pick a name? Couldn't Mary Joseph just pick a name? No. He wanted the name John. And the name John, did any of you look up your name this week on names.org? Some of you told me you did. You know, hey, what's my name mean? That kind of thing like we talked about last week. His name's John, and John refers to God's grace. God's grace was going to happen upon them as a couple, but more importantly, God's grace was going to come upon the world through all time because of the promised Messiah. But here's the beginning of a unique part of the Advent story. The angel Gabriel speaking to Zechariah that he and Elizabeth were going to have a son. And they need to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is to never take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before He is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Can I pause here for a second? There's always this ongoing debate about when life begins. 
Friends, life begins in the womb. At conception. This baby is filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Some of you are still trying to get filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been out of the womb for 80 years maybe. I don't know. This baby was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. That's just an incredible thought. And the Holy Spirit comes upon not only Elizabeth and the grace that the union of Zechariah and Elizabeth came together for this child. It comes upon this baby and fills this baby and infuses a calling and a purpose on this life that is transcendent, that we're here talking about it 2,000 years later. God has plans and purposes for every child, born and unborn. And for those who never find their way to being born, God's grace is sufficient in taking them to be with Him and also His grace is sufficient to heal those who have lost, whether through miscarriage or through a decision that they now regret, God's grace is sufficient. Jesus, the Creator of all, God's Son, actively at work. Now, I won't go there, but your mind starts to really pop when you think Jesus created all things. He's the creator of life. Here's Jesus in a few months going to be born into this world. And here he's a part of the Holy Spirit filling this relative of him, we'll find out, in the womb of Elizabeth. But what does it say his purpose is? This baby did be named John, the grace of God. He will bring many people back to the Lord, their God. He's got a purpose and he's got a calling. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. You see, the prophecies of old said that Elijah would precede the coming of the Messiah. It wasn't Elijah, who was an Old Testament prophet, coming back from the heavens. It was John in the uh, dimension of an Elijah who would come and lead people back to God before the ministry of Jesus began. And he would come in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this is my point. This is what I want you to get today with this other second baby in the Advent story is that you need to know this second baby, John, later referred to John the Baptist because he would baptize people uh, for the forgiveness of their sins, repentance of their sins. John the Baptist, this baby, there was purpose in all this. He was preparing a way for who? Jesus Jesus, defined by his name, is one who saves. So the one who saves is preceded by the one named John, who has grace from God that he's bringing to people. And there is a preparation for salvation that is found in the ministry of John that is of utmost importance if we're ever to see the salvations that God desires in our world and maybe even in your life today. Preparing the way is what I've simply titled these thoughts today because there's a preparing of the way for salvation that needs to happen in each and every heart. In your heart, in your friend's heart, in your family member's heart that you're praying for. 
And if we lose sight of this in the church today, and by the way, we have some. We're in big trouble because it's not going to stick. It's not going to work. Have you ever like had a phone that needed to be charged and you thought you were charging it and then the next day it didn't work and you're like, what happened? It didn't charge. It didn't work. You ever had that with, um, there's a multitude of kinds of things. Maybe you thought you'd get an education and that education would catapult you somewhere, but for some reason you really didn't dial in and, and you got the degree, but it didn't do anything for you. Sometimes I look at people who say that they're Christians or they're saved, but it hasn't worked for them. They're still the same old person with the same kind of mindset. And sometimes I wonder, what happened here? Something didn't get charged. Something was missed out. And what's missed out is what John the Baptist came to bring in light of salvation that was articulated to the people of his time, but throughout all centuries, and we need to grab a hold of this Advent season. Do you know what that is? Do you know what it is that John did to prepare the hearts of people for salvation? What John did was he talked about repentance. Repentance. Went to bed last night and my wife goes, what you talking on? And I said, I get a talk on repentance tomorrow for Christmas. How about that? Oh, fun was her response. I said, yeah, that's what my response was too when the Lord sort of laid this burden on me. Oh, fun. I get to talk about repentance on Christmas. Friends, the Christmas story, the nativity scene, this doesn't work unless we have the other baby. Not in and of who John was, but the message he said and preparing the way for the Lord. And what he spoke about was repentance. Well, as you can imagine, all kinds of things started to to be wrestled in the minds of Zechariah and Elizabeth in this. And we find these words then, picking them up in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Oh, there we go. Christmas story. That's good. All right, we're back on track. Didn't know where he was going to go there for a while. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. What? We're still trying to transition from one president to the next. 
People come, people go, leaders come. Kings rise, kings fall, presidents come, presidents go. What do you mean a kingdom forever? But that was the declaration, the proclamation. That this Jesus, whose title Son of God, when He came, His kingdom would reign forever. And you and I today are a part of that kingdom if we're a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then I say, think about jumping in. Because it's a kingdom that's going to reign forever and it will not fail. And so this is the proclamation concerning the birth of Jesus. It goes on in verse 34 and says, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will be overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Now, you need to know something about this story. There's something beautiful about the faith of Mary. Mary said, bring it up. I'm your servant. When it was announced to her that she would have a baby. But if I can flip back to the second baby. Do you know what happened to Zachariah? When God said, you're going to have a baby. And he'd go, what? You crazy man. We're really old. We've been barren our whole life. He spoke that back to the angel. And the angel caused him to go silent. He couldn't speak. He couldn't talk. When he came out of the place where he's offered incense, and everybody's like, where has Zechariah been? He comes out, and I, I don't think they had ASL back then, but he's trying to, I, I, I don't know what happened here. I can't speak. The Lord silenced Zechariah for the whole duration of the birth. The conception and then the birth of John the Baptist because he doubted God's word. Whereas Mary said, I'm your servant. There's this contrast between the two responses of two parents to the two babies that are in the Advent story. And so may we take up the challenge to be immediately trusting and believing God when he says something. I, you know, I shared with you the announcement of some of the changing here with staff and that kind of thing. It's, it's a word to me. Goes, oh my goodness, Lord, what are we going to do? God says, trust me. I've worked in their hearts. I'm working in your heart. I'm working in the hearts of the people at the church. You trust me. But some of us, we go around doubting and we're confused. And I'm surprised God just doesn't silence more of us for a whole year. You know what I'm saying? Just shut up, Carrie. You're not going to talk anymore because of your indifference and unbelief. May it not be so. May it not be so. But Jesus is going to be born and it's been announced. And you got these two relatives now that are expecting babies. And what Mary does is she goes and um, it says in verse 39... Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and she greeted Elizabeth. Guess what? I'm expecting and I hear you are too. 
Now the two babies in the story, they have a scene here. They have a scene here pre-birth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. It goes on and says in verse 42, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among the women and blessed is the child who you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. I don't know about you, but think about this. The first person to celebrate and declare the Lord's birth was a baby in a womb who hadn't even been born. John leaped for joy when he heard about Jesus. Starts to blow you away a little bit, right? And for all the discussion and debate about, I'm sorry, I'm going to go there, pro-choice and those kinds of things. Friends, you do not choose what God has already chosen, no matter how it's come into being. And we need to be extremely careful whether things are politically correct or not. That doesn't matter to the kingdom that we're a part of. Jesus is the one who creates an infant beginning with conception in the womb of a mother. And he is the one who has plans and purposes for every being brought into this world. Whether they're actually physically then brought in to live on this earth or into eternity. God is the one who is the author of life. And it's such a beautiful part of the Advent story. Here's John the Baptist who is going to prepare the way for Jesus leaping in the womb of Elizabeth on news that Mary's expecting. Mary ended up staying with her for a period of months until then she went back. And that was a part of the story we referenced last week. And here are these relatives together preparing for the birth of two babies that are going to change and rock the world. What about old Zechariah? Well, Zechariah still couldn't talk. But when John was born eight days later when they were circumcised and they had to give him a name. And they said, well, we want to pick a name that's from the family. That's what normally happens. But Elizabeth said, no, his name's to be John. And they looked over at Zechariah and they said, well, what about you? And he grabs a piece of paper. He says, his name will be John. And the moment he said his name will be John, what happens to Zechariah, the dad of John? He begins to speak. And you can see the words recorded there. He begins to speak a prophecy concerning the birth of Jesus, but then he speaks a prophecy concerning the birth of his own son. And he says this in verse 76, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. You will prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Now 
There's a second baby in the Advent story. And that baby had to do everything with preparing your heart and my heart for salvation. What happened with John? Well, John grew. John grew and he stayed true to that calling that was upon his life. He went and lived outside the city in the desert regions. He clothed himself with camel's hair, which is part of what would happen to people that lived out in the desert and he ate off of things in the desert and honey. But it says this in chapter 3. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. That was his job. To prepare the way for the Lord, Elijah. And as he was faithful to that calling, what he was doing was preaching about repentance. Repentance is tied to the story of Christmas. Repentance is tied to the story of salvation. Question, is repentance tied to the story of your life and mine? As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. Does it take? The only way salvation takes is if there is repentance as a preparation for receiving the Messiah and the Lord into your life. So I simply position to you today, there is no salvation apart from repentance. How many of you like the Christmas carol story? Good old Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Successful businessman, pretty grumpy, very inconsiderate, demeaning of people. His co-worker, Jacob Marley, dies and Jacob Marley appears to him in a dream and he warns him of his ways. Ebenezer, if you don't change your ways, you too will walk around through all of eternity with the chains and the burdens of sin on your life. And Ebenezer Scrooge, he says what? Well, I'm no different than anybody else. I'm just a businessman. Bah, humbug! Right? I won't change. And then as the Christmas carol unfolds of Charles Dickinson, who actually did have a private faith, and he would talk about some of his characters really having uh, dimensions in the New Testament, we find that the Christmas carol actually has the story of repentance in it. Ebenezer Scrooge resists that, but then in his dream, he's visited by three spirits, right? Now, in the newer versions and TV things, they sort of all make it nice. Oh, just be nice. But I tell you what, the original thing's a bit scary, isn't it? There's the visitation of the spirit of Christmas past, of which Ebenezer Scrooge revisits his old upbringing and the loneliness and the despair of all that. And then there's the spirit of Christmas present 
and the jolly heart and the filling of laughter and, and you got Bob Cratchit and, and Tiny Tim all mixed in there and what's going on with the Christmas uh, carol story. But then it's the spirit of Christmas yet to be that grabs a hold of Ebenezer Scrooge. He listens in on a conversation of people talking about a wealthy man who's died. And, and all of a sudden he starts to realize, well, who's this wealthy man that died that nobody cared about and nobody even, uh, even went to, to his funeral kind of thing? And then the spirit of the ghost of Christmas yet to be takes him to the cemetery and then he realizes, he sees the tombstone that this wealthy man who died not known or cared for by anybody was himself. And he screams and he cries out, no, no, help me. Let me change. And he wakes up from that dream. And you well know the story. I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm busting anybody's chance of watching it here, right? No alert needed. Ebenezer Scrooge changes. He has a new heart, but what does he do? He repents of that old life and he changes towards the new. Repentance is a requirement for salvation. And I think the reason it doesn't work, salvation that is, for some people, maybe you're challenged with this, is you've never repented. Repentance is not a sorry sentimentality. It's not a feeling of guilt or, oh, I wish. Repentance is an about change. It's a turning from the old, turning to the new. There is action in repentance. I remember my mother teaching me this a lot growing up. There is no salvation without the remission of there is no remission of sin without repentance. Over and again, she would articulate that. So I challenge you today to understand this about the Christmas story, about Advent. There is a second baby. The second baby was a prepare of the way. The prepare of the way was talking about repentance. Not only when we come to faith or receiving Jesus Christ initially, there needs to be repentance hearts where we're turning from our sinful life and we're turning towards that which is of God and righteousness. There is no salvation apart from repentance for there is no repentance without a change in the former lifestyle. You see, in India, if you're to evangelize there, it's like, hey, yeah, we'll take on Jesus. We got 40,000 other gods with our Hindu faith. Let's just add Jesus on. No, there's exclusivity. There is a turning from the old, lifestyle to the new, receiving Christ, Him enabling you to do that. There is no repentance without a change in the former lifestyle, for there is no eternal life without a turning from sin to Jesus for salvation. So this is my simple challenge as we close. Was your salvation a salvation unto eternal life because it represented a heart of repentance and turning from an old lifestyle or not? Yesterday we were blessed to have David Anderson share with our men's group. David um, unpacked his story. You can ask him about it later if you weren't able to be there. But David, there is repentance in your heart David will say, uh, don't call me Dave, that's the old life. I was renamed and took the name David when I repented and I received Jesus. And 
as he unpacks some of his story, you're like, praise the Lord. There's the old Dave, but there's the new David. But to find the new, you put your name in there. There has to be a turning from the old and a turning to the new. There is no salvation without repentance. I'm not going to go there. I encourage you to for some fun Christmas reading. Keep reading about the story of John the Baptist. He was pretty intense. He called the people coming out to see him and they all came out from the city, a brood of vipers. And they began asking him, begging him, what do we do? He was preparing the way for the Lord and he baptized Jesus who he said, the thongs of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. And he baptized Jesus, not for the forgiveness of Jesus' sins because he was perfect, but as an example to us that we would be baptized, symbolizing our repentance and our receiving of Christ. But when they cried out to John the Baptist in the desert, they were asking about lifestyle. What do we do? How do we change? What needs to be made right? The idea that there's a privatized faith where we simply just receive Jesus as our Savior and then we go around with you know, cognitive understanding but no change of lifestyle is not in the Bible. So I finish with this final verse of Acts 3. And this is why the challenge is there. Luke said this as well. It was his book. Repent. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that He may send the Messiah the second time who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, here this morning as we've journeyed through this story of Advent that includes the birth of John the Baptist, the disbelief of Zechariah, and then him coming uh, to full understanding, naming his son John, and then John becoming the one who baptizes people for repentance. Jesus, we pray that you would bring home to us this need in our own hearts and the need as we share with other people for repentance to be a part of salvation. And that we would not shortchanged the good news. Lord, may you reveal to each of us that repentance is good news. For the day is the day of salvation. We are not under a death sentence that cannot be pardoned. Lord, may we seek you. Ask you to change our hearts as we repent of our sins and turn towards your full face, inviting you into our life to receive you as our Lord and Savior. And Lord, from this day forward, may we call you Jesus, the one who saves us because of your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed with that heavy. May you rejoice that indeed you are not under a death sentence that cannot be pardoned and forgiven through the power of Jesus Christ. God bless. See you next week.